Welcome, Sacred Disruptor, to the Sovereign Society podcast. I'm your guide, Sabrina Riccio, modern medicine priestess, golden age business mentor, and marketing muse for spiritual entrepreneurs. In this sacred temple, we explore what it means to embark on your spiritual journey towards sovereign embodiment, multidimensional leadership, and social justice while honoring a business of integrity. Gathered here are some of the world's leading mentors, healers, and revolutionists alike as they share activating codes of guidance and transmissions of wisdom that will empower you to thrive. As a sovereign leader, you are here, embodied in your truth and on your evolutionary mission to answer the call, move the masses, and activate your legacy for the generations to come. You are here to unleash your medicine. Welcome home. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sovereign Society podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Riccio, and let me just say how grateful I am to have you with this conversation because the medicine here is such a beautiful continuation of my solo episode I had last week where I talked about the medicine of 222-2022, and it was amazing because last week it aired on 22-2022. And it was also super special because that was the day that we had my grandmother's funeral. And I share that because a lot of this conversation that I have here today with you with Bess Matassa, who is an incredible author. She's a huge piece of the Numinous, who I've had Rashonda Trumbull on here. I've had so many beautiful people, Ruby Warrington, who started the Numinous. And, you know, these are the conversations I love the most because I love how so many of us are bridging the gap between the ancient medicines that our ancestors used and being aware to the modern times of the golden age. And so I love the people who are really honoring that these teachings are evolving just as humanity is, but there's also a really beautiful golden thread between it, uh, between these teachings really, and what we share and what we're learning that go back to, again, the ancestral wisdom and teachings. And so, you know, as we really dive deeper into the second month of 2022, we really find ourselves in a six year, and this is really the year of the radiant body in tantric numerology and in tarot, something that I teach in courses like Thrive and something I'm going to teach deeper in my upcoming business development course, Business Alchemy, because these are the pieces that help us become whole in who we are. And so if we are embarking on the sixth year of the radiant body, we recognize in tarot that that's the year of the lovers and in astrology, because the lovers card represents Gemini. Uh, So, you know, this Gemini loves that this is such a beautiful time and it's super special. Like I shared last week that we can finally have a breather from not so many intense planets in retrograde. Holy shit, right? (laughs) I don't know about you, but January kicked my ass. And, you know, there's so much that, again, the mantra I live by that the arrow has to be pulled back before it can be shot forward. And I just really 
believe that, you know, these challenging times have been coming up for a lot of people because it shows us how strong we are, you know, and we can work with tools like mysticism and these archetypes to really navigate through these times as we really go forth courageously to live out our soul's deeper mission. And so by embracing the ancestral wisdom of our lineage alongside these ancient mystical teachings, we have the ability to implement modern technology and the blessing of the now, as well as with that ancient medicine, right? To really share our wisdom and our truth to implement real change. And luckily we have incredible people who are answering the call, like Bess Matassa here, who is an astrologer and a mystic. And she also is the author of The Numinous Cosmic Year. And she is really using her platform to help people understand that revolutionary shifts are really being experienced in our world. And we're coming together to really share, again, our wisdom, our teachings, the medicine that we've used to help us on our journey, and then unleashing that and sharing from that space of overflow. And so by really implementing our expansive knowledge and awareness, there's this opportunity for us to really begin to witness how our inner landscape affects our external reality. And we talked a lot about that in this episode because, you know, from this space, we get to really allow ourselves to honor and use our power to impact the outer world for the greater good with intention and with purpose and with love. And so this is how we get to really experience this human journey with more ease and grace. So we talked so much about those pieces. And like I said, there's so much medicine that's coming up to the service through mysticism that I really feel like is helping our collective. And so, you know, we are the answer to our ancestors' prayers, right? And the ancestral journey of bridging the gap is something that we're infusing with the immediacy of magic. And we talked a lot about that as well as Bess's journey from being an urban geographer to becoming an astrologer and really the parallels of the inner emotions in the outside world, like I said, as well as, you know, growing smaller (laughs) in a way and allowing things to come through with trust as the world does its work around us. And you'll understand what I mean by that when you tune in, but We have the ability to really use astrology. And when we also honor in the moon sign of what it is, because like we are made of more than 75% water. And so the moon affects the tides within us just as much as it affects the ocean, right? This is where we can understand how we can honor our emotions and our inner child so that we can really navigate through and share our medicine. But we also talked about sidereal versus tropical astrology and the symbols and seasons, because this is something that I was really curious about. You may have remembered when I had my best friend, Krista Ryerson of Chalice Grove on here, 
a couple episodes back and she's been really big on sidereal or what she calls golden age astrology. So I really wanted to talk a lot about that as well as the numinous cosmic year for 2022 and the power of Mercury and your moon sign plus so much more. But like I said, Bess Matassa, who's here, she's a New York based astrologer. She has her PhD and she's a tarot reader who really serves up mystical self-inquiry with the side of play and poetry and pop music. And so her book, The Numinous Astro Deck, and she also has uh, the zodiac signs of Leo and Virgo, and then uh, recently the Numinous Cosmic Year, your astrological almanac. So this woman is incredible, and she's been featured in so many places, and I just really invite you to take note because this was, like I said, a really special episode for me. The fact that I had a Southern Italian sister here, this was just such a special thing. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to think. So if you love this podcast, please leave us a rating and review, especially if you listen on iTunes, it really helps spread it out. And please, if you haven't, so I don't know if you all know, but in December, I was hacked. My Instagram was hacked. And ever since then, my engagement has been super wonky because of what they did while they hacked my Instagram. So if you can just give some love over at Sabrina Riccio, it would mean the world to me. I'm even considering starting completely from scratch um, and just a clean slate. So I'm feeling into a lot of shifts and changes right now as well. Um, but make sure you also follow us at Sovereign Society Podcast. And you can also watch all these conversations over at YouTube. And again, I just want to thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by my upcoming course, Business Alchemy. And so if you're someone who's wanting and craving and ready to start their online business, this course is literally the only business development course you'll ever need. And there's so many great things. We'll be having monthly group calls. You'll be able to join and get a bonus one-on-one call during this round. And we're going to have three months of support to help you build your business. So if you're interested, send me a DM over on Instagram. Again, at Sabrina Riccio, let me know. You can also click the show notes if you want to learn more about it. But all in all, I just really encourage you to take the time to absorb the medicine of this conversation because it's a special one. So without further ado, let's talk about with Besmatasa here, the evolution of astrology and how we can really answer our call and use this ancestral medicine to unleash our truth. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sovereign Society podcast. Let me just say how incredibly excited I am to be sharing this conversation and to really witness what comes through because I have Bess Matassa here. And you know, what's really exciting is that there's so many more people that are infusing mysticism and these ancient texts and experiences like astrology and tarot and really bringing a modern twist to it. And it's something I just really respect because I think so much of our generation is about like paying homage to what was, but also really being aware of the times and the now. 
and the times and the now is about like, it's not even about like balancing the two worlds, but it's like balancing the two worlds in a way of how do we navigate through the tech and the changes, but also keep our feet on the ground with what has been and these ancient wisdom, the ancient wisdom and the text and um, teachings that have been part of our ancestral um, upbringing in a way, because it's a lot of these are old ancient texts, but there's also so many shifts. And before we pushed record, Beth and I were talking about how how many of us like really started having that shift in 2012. And I was thinking last night when I was tossing and turning, I was like, you know what, 2012, like we were so conditioned to be the doom and the gloom of the end of the world. But what I saw was, was the end of the illusion. And it's, it's been the end of the illusion of the conditioning and the playing small and ancestral karma, if you choose to go to the depth of your soul and really go there, have the courage, have the faith and the strength to really go outside of the quote unquote norm. So I'm really excited to dive in uh, into this conversation with you today, Bess, and I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Sabrina. Excited to chat and undo some ancestral karma, lay some new groundwork. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. That's yeah. The, yeah. I mean, to me, that's like what fueled me in 2012. Like I was, you know, I've, I was, I've been writing my book and sharing my story, but like what really fueled me in 2012. And I think it's amazing because like reading your notes, like you're a Southern Italian sister, as am I, like, my I'm my mom is a first generation American and I was raised by my immigrant grandparents. My nonno no, no, no came from Taranto, which is southern Italy, not Sicily, but we're at the curve of the boot. And uh, my my grandmother's sister, she was a witch, you know, and a doula. But I think, you know, as we've adapted into this Western American culture as well, and bringing in these old ancient, uh, you know, like I said, teachings and wisdoms and ways of being, I'm, I know like I'm clearing this out for me, but also for my children to come. And that's what really fuels me to embark on my spiritual journey. So to go there, I would love to hear what fueled you to really be aware of your upbringing and your lineage and like paying homage to your ancestral line and teachings and wisdom while also bridging the gap to the now and being in integrity with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a little babe, I was pretty disconnected from any sense of that and continued to be, I mean, through a variety of complication around my particular family of origin story and being disconnected from parts of that. Um, but I think for me, astrology very early on, it was a language when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, that I was seeking out books at the library. I had my card, you know, my tarot card deck. And for me, it felt like a return to a kind of immediacy of magic. And when you're talking about this sort of collision between the material and the modern sort of mystical world, um, 
it really feels like for me, astrology is a recovery process of kind of coming into that immediacy. It's just built on the four elements. And like these elements are in everything that surrounds us. And so, you know, although there's been a lot of complication around how astrology has sort of been abstracted as a tool, you know, used kind of pseudoscientifically or used by, you know, certain people trying to sort of protect the knowledge around it, at its core, it feels like, you know, for ancestral recovery, for all kinds of recovery of kind of core self, like one of the most beautiful tools to me, because it's really about the enhancement of the relationship we have with the immediate physical reality that surrounds us. And then using that as a gateway to all of these un unseen aspects of our being. And speaking to 2012, I can, I can only say that crossing from 2012 into 2013, I had a complete psychological breakdown. I nearly left out, you know, left the planet entirely and recovering the language again of astrology and tarot on a deeper level, starting to do it professionally was quite literally my lifeline at that time in terms of understanding my place in both ancestral lineage and a larger lineage of what it means to be a human and try to live on this planet as best, as best we can, basically. Preach. I hear you. I mean, like, I, I think, I feel those of us who are really here to be golden age leaders who are here to really pave the path and live out our soul mission. Like I said, the ones that have had the courage to answer the call. And I saw this meme. It was like, if you were like, when you were here to answer the call and people don't understand, it wasn't a conference call, right? Like it was, it was a call that was brought to you. It was like an, an individual call between you, God, spirit, universe, whatever lexicon you want to use on like why you came here during this time. And it's really important, again, to like not discredit the lineage or your past or your childhood. But I think the biggest piece is like, how do you start to put the pieces together? Like you said, you were a young girl going to the library, studying astrology and like really starting to take inventory in a way of like, what are the things that sparked joy for you? at a young age, what were the things that like felt in alignment to dive in deeper with at a younger age? What challenges were you able to overcome and shifting and alchemizing that mindset from being a victim to being victorious of what was? And I think there's, there's, it takes like time away and time to shut out the noise of the outside world to get really quiet and honed in and really like really go in. And I mean, I'm so, I'm so curious to hear too, cause I know like you got your doctorate in urban geography. What fueled you? Like, <laughs> what was that all about? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like how, like when you were getting that doctorate in urban geography, like I'm just like, so blown away. Like, did you have like that knowledge of astrology before? Was that what had you or fueled you to want to get this, this doctorate, become a, have a PhD in urban geography, and then use that to bleed into your work as an astrologer? Like, I'm so 
curious about what you were hearing when you're like, hey, I'm going to get my PhD (laughs) in urban geography and I'm going to run with this. Yeah. So as like a fire sign stellium, I have like I don't really have a lot of foresight often. It's it's more like sort of a visceral feeling and then I go, you know, and like, you know, I've got four out of five of my my personal planets in Aries and a moon in Leo. And so when I was hearing the call toward urban cultural geography, it was pretty much like I was in a seminar hearing this kind of like modality and way of interpreting the world for the first time. I think it was um, toward the end of like my undergrad. And I was like, oh my God, this is the thing. This is like how I've always experienced the world, you know? And then I went out and worked for a while. And then I was like, kept getting called back to this language and ended up just doing this, not really thinking I was going to be an academic per se, but just like fascinated by this language and wanting to kind of dive in. And For me, it had a lot of parallels to astrology because the kind of geography Mm. I studied was all about how people infused landscapes with poetic meaning and how the landscapes sort of then loved them back in this kind of reciprocal exchange between what's inside of us and emotions and the physical, you know, outside world and the metaphorical overlay for that. And so it felt very much in line with how I experienced astrology when I was a kid, which was as, as this kind of like heightened poetic awareness of like, oh my God, all of these living things are infused with like fire, earth, air, water, and these 12 sign archetypes. And you can kind of go into the landscape and say, ooh, that building or that tree looks like a Taurus. You know, this kind of surfacing over here feels, you know, a little bit textural, like a, you know, Capricorn kind of um, challenge or whatever the thing was. And so it seemed quite aligned to that. And then, you know, on the other side of that, right after I finished up the doctorate, I had a, my complete mental breakdown um, and and was led back to astrology. And so in the early days, you know, I was adjuncting, I was continued to sort of have a foot in the academic world, but I was also offering readings and I was hybridizing the two. So my first offering was something called street signs, which took people to areas of New York that I thought would help them connect to the energy of their chart. And we sort of worked through the landscape and worked through their inner landscape. And then that started to sort of like mushroom into all these material mystical collaborations with, you know, a fragrance maker, chef, or, you know, all of these modalities for sort of inviting um, the sign archetypes and the planetary archetypes into our lives. So yeah, it was a, it was a strange journey, but one that actually made a lot of sense to me internally, at least at the time. I love that. Like, were you talking when you were writing your papers about the astrology and the landscape piece? Because if I was your professor, I would have been like, this is so brilliant. This is, (laughs) I'm sure, very like engaging in a way versus all these other papers. Like, were you writing about that then? I wasn't writing about astrology in my dissertation. My dissertation was about um, walking and public space in New York and sort of these narratives of walking in the late 70s during New York's like fiscal crisis, sort of disco era, and how people were thinking about space and who it belonged to. Too. Um, but I was also like, when I wasn't working on that, I was like giving readings for friends and like, you know, all of these kinds of other excavations. So I think the mystical was very much like part of the unseen footnotes of my research, but it wasn't explicitly present, but I really, I tried to stretch academia to the limits that poetics would allow it. Um, I think, you know, maybe if I would 
be entering the program now, there'd be even more buoyancy to kind of use that language. But um, yeah, it was definitely informing the behind the scenes um, ethos for sure. It was definitely breadcrumbs of like the bigger, the bigger why of what you're doing here. I think that's so amazing. I just, I'm really always fascinated to hear the journey that people embark on and what calls them and just to really recognize or to hear uh, because I remember I was just teaching at uh, my the university I went to school with uh, last week and I was sharing my story about like systems and podcasting to my internet marketing professor's class. He like texted me SOS. Can you teach last minute, like two classes tomorrow? And I'm like, okay, I got this. So I was taught to his, his classes about podcasting and the importance of authenticity and, you know, I, I, I do believe that golden age success and the true key of success in today's day and world is if you can give yourself permission to be authentically you in the work that you do and how you present yourself and how you really show up. And I remember a lot of them were like, is this a stepping stone for like the, like what else you want to do? Or do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? I was like, I don't want to be doing coaching and stuff for the rest of my life. Like I'm writing two books right now. Like I was invited to go teach at the UN, but then COVID happened. Like I have bigger things, but I think that's what we need to understand too, is like sometimes we're, where we have these like little spot, like these spots or these checkpoints on our path. And there's a bigger unfoldment that can happen. And it's really important to just trust the journey and to trust that, you know, there's nuggets of wisdom that you are going to learn from every choice you make. So you even choosing to get your doctorate in that and then having, you know, like, sounds to me kind of like a dark night of the soul of like reevaluating everything and what am I doing with my life? Like there was still, I'm sure lessons you learned from that, that you're even applying today into astrology and these archetypes, especially when you're talking about like the inner landscape versus the external. And so there, there was pieces. And that's when we were like, I was sharing in the beginning, like we can see like what's going on, but how do we refine it or realign ourselves or come into a a union with that piece so that we can answer like a bigger calling. Yeah. It's interesting when you were talking, I was thinking about it and, you know, I think it's perhaps specific to me and my journey, but for me, I feel like in some ways my whole life has been like a growing smaller. And I don't mean growing smaller in a way of like powerlessness or like not being my true self, but it's almost like being so steeped in myself that I can kind of like slowly back out of the room and like let things just come through as they want to come through. It's almost like an animal that's like so much its own spots that it becomes like camouflaged in the jungle, like trusting in that essential core and that through thread that just sort of remains. So I can kind of let the world do its work on me, not out of a sense of powerlessness, but a sense of like partnering with the currents that want to come through and showing up in a way that's not, um, I don't know, that doesn't, I don't know, feel like it's, it's this kind of willpower act or this fight between like what's inside and the external world and what's going to happen, but more this kind of hollowing out of the vessel that feels like I'm still able to be authentically me and flavor things. It's like things coming through are always going to be flavored, like best Matassa flavored, but I don't have to like strong arm them to have them have my signature on them. So that this kind of like almost like 
getting a little buffed, you know, by, by life as Mm. I've gotten older and older and being, um, I don't know, for my creative journey, it's felt like a relaxing kind of into a, you know, for, to put it in astrological terms, I have a ton of planets in my sixth house, which is ruled by Virgo. And it feels very Virgo. And it feels like a learning of a Virgo and like letting it come through and being so, you know, gaining enough trust in the essential core of the self that we can let ourselves be kind of seasoned by it and season it. That's that's beautiful. And that takes, that takes having the courage to get to know you better, like trusting you, trusting, like I said, God's very universe, whatever term you want to use. And I know that's been a lot of my journey. I'm a one degree Virgo moon. So like with my chart and I have such strong Mercurian energy, like I want to communicate out into the world, like, who I am, like that's my drive. It's like really communicate it and do it with conviction in a way and making sure that like it has like dr- like drive and it's really there to make an impact. But I really loved when you said allowing things to come through with trust. And I think it takes time to, um, especially like if you, you have to understand like the inner child within, you have to understand, like I said in the past, like before, and we started this conversation, like the, the checkpoints or the pieces of your past, like these memories and understanding, like there's nuggets of wisdom that are there that are going to help you and support you and knowing and having faith that like, you're never going to be steered off course when you allow yourself to trust yourself, you trust God, you trust your heart. And you can be in this space of surrender. And again, that takes, it takes courage to get out of your own way. And I mean, I I just think a lot of us, and I think that's been kind of the blessing of the pandemic and the shutdown. It was like, it just felt like a universal reset. And from that reset, I know for me, there was a lot of reevaluating and reassessing And I think now that we have modern technology where we can communicate all pieces of the world, we can share our wisdom, we can share our truth, we can share our stories, and we can recognize that we're not alone in this too. I think that can also bring in more trust uh, with the outside world if we allow it. But also having discernment as well. I think that's a key piece. I as have well. some Virgo discernment. I am so, I don't know if you know Sabrina, but I am so obsessed with the Virgo archetype. It's probably like, I'm like a total Virgo fangirl and I don't have any like planets in Virgo <laughs> or anything. And I'm so obsessed that a few years ago I was approached to write a couple of books in sort of a sign by sign astrology series. And the first one I chose was Virgo because I was like, no one else is going to write the Virgo. I've got to write the Virgo book. I've got to like do some service <laughs> and help like read position the narrative around Virgo because I feel like it's such complex alchemical energy that like refuses to be soundbited. And every time we hear it treated in a soundbite or a meme or whatever, I just like, I don't know, I get so up in arms about the Virgo cause because it's like that critical turning point is the sixth sign out of the 12 where we have to figure out what's the limit of the self. How do we kind of show up and enter the world and while keeping the self intact? And it's like, my God, there's like nothing more exciting in the whole astrological journey, I think, than that step out of the self, out of Leo and into the great wide world of the next six signs. So 
I mean. Yeah. And it's definitely, I feel like it's super misunderstood and, and they're like, oh, they're just like crazy OCD, but it's like, no, I, the way that I see Virgo and being a Virgo moon is like, I came here on mission and I just have to, I'm choosing to stay focused on like my divine mission, why I was brought here. And there can be outside noise or like um, people like trying to protect me or like they'll project onto me or, you know, they'll, there's in a ways like they're projecting their doubts of like what I know is, can be possible, <laughs> what I've seen. And I just have to continue. I know, like I said, as a, as a one degree Virgo moon, like I'm, I'm choosing to continue just to stay the course and stay focused and stay in alignment with where my faith lies and like the visions that I've had. And it can, it can be, it can, it's definitely like the road less traveled, you know? And I think a lot of us have been reliant on other people's opinions for a long time. I think it's a huge part of the conditioning of like, and I think because we, a lot of us, the majority of us really grew up with a lot of insecurity and so there's a lot of that that seeking or needing of external validation. And again, when you have the courage to do that deeper work, when you have the courage to dismantle the layers ancestrally from your inner child, from societal conditioning, um, and you're, you give yourself permission to purge all of that out and then infuse that space with like your own self-love you can really come into that space of wholeness. And I like to say like you become really unfuckwithable because you are embodied in your sovereignty. And that's the driving force behind my medicine, the driving force behind this podcast. And again, just like paving my own path. <laughs> and some people may not understand and that's okay. Everyone's doing their best based on their level of awareness. But we just have to continue to trust that the the path and the journey that we're we're embarking on, like there's purpose to it. Yeah. If you allow yourself to lead with heart. And when you talk about leading with heart and ancestral healing and all of this, it feels like in so many ways using astrology, like the gateway of the moon sign is incredible, an incredible tool for this because the moon sign, I mean, there's so many different layers to your moon sign, but you know, one layer is kind of the emotional core. It's almost like the kid or the presence that really yearns and needs and longs for and needs to be kind of attended before we get on with the rest of the work or the chart. So it's like, if you're not attending to the moon sign, you better believe it's going to be making some fucking noise in the back seat and like creating fumes in the life, you know? <laughs> so it's like in attending to that little kid in the back seat, then there's this layer of the moon. That's the pole of like the tidal pole of the past. And so a lot of times the moon sign can be something that comes through family charts, or that's about family or ancestral work that we're, you know, here in this in incarnation to do. And it can be super interesting to look at charts of, you know, people generations back from you and see how they might've used the energy of the sign that you have as your moon sign and, you know, how you're using it in this lifetime. And I don't know, there's something really interesting there, I think, to use the moon sign as a tool. And of course, you know, in Western, well, not of course, but it's been the unfortunate reality. I think that the thing that's gotten the most airtime in Western astrology historically has been the sun sign, which is all about 
the hustle or whatever you want to call it, or the drive or the force of the individual, where the moon is this much more primitive pole of kind of the collective and the emotional pool of the inner self and all of that. So it could be, you know, kind of a cool thing for listeners to play with. If you're just starting to work with astrology, you know, looking at your moon sign as this kind of gateway, like you've, you know, been working your one degree Virgo moon in order to, you know, heal lineage and also, you know, show up in this lifetime and, you know, be cogent and authentic and coherent as a soul. Yeah, that was really beautiful. I think it's really cool how many more people are diving in deeper to their signs. You know, there's, it's, it's definitely, I don't see it's as it's tab as taboo as it was before. Like people are more aware of their rising signs and their moon signs and even their Chiron. Yeah. And, people love Chiron, you know, <laughs> Everybody loves some Chiron work. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just think it's really great. But I'm also like, it's it's interesting because, you know, I know a lot of friends who are also working more with um, sidereal astrology too, and aren't just focusing so much on, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking outside the box as well. And it's interesting because anytime... I use like a star map, you know, where you can like put in the sky and you can see where planets are. It's always showing that like the sun is in the, like it's showing more of the sidereal charts than it is more of how we've seen Western astrology. So I would love your take on like, cause a lot of people are saying that, like, I'm seeing more and more people, especially like one of my best friends, um, Krista Ryerson, she's doing golden age astrology. She's working more with sidereal and seeing how, these, these signs are actually evolving, you know what I mean? And it's really interesting to see how I think with more awareness and again, like the shift into a new millennia, the shift like into a new age. Um, I'm curious as an astrologer, what you see of these different tropical sidereal and, you know, how can we understand the two or what do we see as the major difference between them? Yeah. So I'm definitely not an expert in sidereal astrology by any means. Um, but I will say that that sort of writ large, the separation between the two systems has to do with what exactly what you're identifying, the constellations and where things are exactly in the sky versus Western astrology or what we call tropical astrology sort of branching off as more symbolic connected to the seasons, you know, and so they're aligned with, you know, like Capricorn season happens at this time of year and the, you know, the spring equinox and the, the winter solstice and so on. And so, you know, historically we've seen, and I can't speak to how sidereal astrology is applied because I know very little about it, but, you know, tropical astrology has come into the realm of sort of having this lineage now of like psychological astrology and symbolic astrology that kind of aligns with the outer landscape of the natural world. So it's like, if we're in the Western hemisphere and it's, we're entering into Capricorn season, if we're in New York city, we have like ice rain flying at our face and like things are, you know, things are a little brittle. Things are a little challenging. Mm -hmm. We're asked to build endurance. So it kind of sort of relates to the symbolic principles of that sign. And, and I think that there's in the little that I've sort of played around with the sidereal, like when I was first years ago, when I first like, you know, looked at my sidereal chart, I was like, no fucking way. Like, am I like a quadruple Pisces, like in what world? And then when I started to kind of like <laughs> dive into it a little bit more, I was like, wow, this is really interesting because in, 
you know, and it's basically, I think at this point, it's like, you can kind of roll back each of your signs. I think it's 24 degrees and that will align you with what the sign is in sidereal. So it's like, if you're, you know, at 26 degrees Aries in Western, you know, you're, well, that's a bad example, but if you're at, you know, 20 degrees Aries, then you're rolled back into Pisces from that planet. Um, but I was like, wow, this is really interesting because in my Western chart, I've got literally no water, not a drop to drink anywhere to be found. And in the sidereal chart, I'm entirely water. And it was like, there was something actually really kind of comforting about that on another soul level of being like, wow, like I actually really need and want a, like a metaphorical drink of water and to be moving toward this understanding of this element because all of us, and this is not at all to discount the specificity of you because I think astrology is this beautiful gateway to your birth chart and your signs and your degrees and all of this. But there also becomes a point where, again, we're so steeped in ourselves that then we're like, this is a system of 12 archetypes, 12 sign archetypes. We all have all of them inside of us. We're all reaching to equilibrate. And so, you know, and it's like when I do readings these days, I'm like, I don't know, I'm totally like off chart sometimes. You know, I look at the chart and then I'm like some jazz musician or whatever. That's maybe not the comparison, but I'm just like, what does this person need in this moment? They may not be presenting with any Capricorn planets or Saturn transits, but all I can see is Capricorn when I look at them, when I look at their chart. And so it's like being steeped enough in the personal to then open up and say, wow, not that it's it renders it meaningless, but it actually renders it deeply meaningful to be able to go to this cabinet of 12 sign archetypes in these planets and say, what's needed right now? Just the same way you'd pull a card from a tarot deck and be like, oh, the high priestess, mm. there they are, you know? And so I think this kind of like the debate between sidereal and tropical, not, this, not that it's a real debate, but it's just like, we can use all of it. Like read your sidereal chart, read your tropical chart, you know, go wild and steep yourself so deeply in these archetypes that you can just wake up one morning and be like, damn, I just need some Gemini energy right now. I don't know where it's going to come from, but it's not on my chart, but we're going to go get it. And so I think that can be, can be a really interesting gateway to um, hybridizing and playing with these symbols in a different way. I love that. And I feel like in a way it brings more inclusion as well. You know, I think there's so much, yes, the diversity is great in terms of like, we have like this beautiful picture painted of like so much difference, but there's also this type of uh, and I didn't, shouldn't even say di uh, diversity, but I should say division, but there's this opportunity of, of understanding the, the pieces and the wholeness. Like there's no accident why both of these different, um, these different ways of reading astrology are here. And like I said, the fact that you were saying that there'd be like so many more Pisces without water. And you were talking earlier about like emotions and the inner landscape versus uh, the external in that way. So I, I do think it's really amazing when you have the time uh, to dive in deeper. And maybe it's a way to like test an ego as well, like your personal oh, ego. Like, totally. My, you know I mean? my Leo moon, my Leo moon becomes a cancer moon in sidereal. And I was like, I was like so enraged, just like, there's no way. And it's like, that's really interesting information, you know, because cancer in my Western chart is intercepted. It's not even on a house cusp, mm. you know? And so I'm like, and I have a very strong, talk about ancestral healing. I have a very strong ancestral lineage around cancer energy, but it doesn't show up mm. in my Western chart. And that's really interesting information too, because I have historically really railed against that archetype. And so here it so is right on time. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think, uh, 
It's a it's a total ego check because <laughs> you think you're gonna be like this because yeah I mean it would say for me that I'm more Taurus uh, based you know with my son and I'm like oh, I can I definitely see like I'm very like mercurial but I can be very stubborn like I definitely have that awareness and very like ground to earth down to earth and like grounded in earth but. Yeah, it's very interesting in that sense as well. So I like I said, I'm always curious just to to keep to read and to take what resonates and really release the rest and also understand like is what's resonating with my ego or can I really dive in deeper and find like what's resonating as like my soul? Yeah. Um, so I think that's <laughs> definitely an interesting piece as well. But now, like, I want to dive in a little deeper because I know you, like you talked about earlier, you have a book where you've done like your two books. You did it all, what, Virgo and Leo, right? Like your different signs. Yeah, Virgo and Leo Correct. came out a couple of years ago. And then before that, I collaborated um, with Ruby, Ruby Warrington of the Numinous. And we did an astrology deck, which is kind of like a teaching tool. Love that deck. With, yeah, with all the signs and the planets and all of that. So yeah, this is the fourth, the... The Numinous Cosmic Year, which is the book that's um, that's out now, is the fourth. And I'm just like, I don't know, as a lifelong writer and like having worked for so long in like the digital space, it's just really nice to like hold objects, you know, and just like hold them to your chest and really like, I don't know, there's something and especially like it speaks to me about the... I think we're getting to a little bit of a saturation point with astrology of this kind of like... Um, what's the moon in now and what's what, what are we doing and what you know today and this day and this, all of this versus kind of this like larger rhythm of evergreen like okay we're in Capricorn season what's the feel we're in this season and using these symbols as kind of like a larger apparatus to then not have to like freak out about the minute of the hour of the day when you know Jupiter's gonna whatever um, and so it's nice I think to have things in book form like that way too because it feels like a little less tweaky and a little less like you know, for so many years I was writing like so much horoscope content and I love horoscopes. I love it. It's this beautiful gateway, uh, you know, the first interface a lot of people have with astrology, but then it was like, you don't really go back and read your, you know, it's just like dumped into a hole. You don't go back and read your horse. I mean, maybe some people do, but yeah. So it's nice. Hopefully the book provides kind of both things. It has, you know, little tips and tidbits about 2022 specifically. And it also introduces readers to these seasons and these kind of larger energies of the months of the year. I love that. And I'm, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting year, 2022, the <laughs> fact that we've got 222 and in tarot that six is a year of the lovers. And I, like I said, I just, I know for me and my journey with 2021 being so much of the Hierophant and like me having to really dive in deep within myself and like heal that Taurus energy, getting like radically honest and like grounded in who I am. And now we're going into, you know, here, two, 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 Gemini, the lovers. And again, I think there's a lot of that self-love that's been really, um, on the forefront and we see it in um social media we're seeing like body positivity trends we're seeing more people like acknowledge their mental health we're seeing like more of this self-love really being uh the forefront you know what i mean and i think it's really beautiful to see so many people like 
and I, I'm speaking for myself included, that have been really devoted to filling up their cups so that they can share from this overflow. So I'm curious to hear, and in even February, February, well, we're going to have a two, 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 you know, or a two, 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 two. It's oh, going to yeah. be <laughs> super two. There's going to be lots of twos going on. So I'm curious to hear, like, what are the bigger ones that the bigger, like, uh, transits or times of year in 2022 that you think are going to be the most beneficial for peace and love and understanding and union of self and maybe union as a collective. Yeah. I mean, I think the entirety of the year is really an invitation around this kind of reunification. And it's really interesting because you're speaking to the numerology, which, you know, I'm, you know, I use tarot as equally, you know, alongside astrology and there's lots of interplay between the two. And it's interesting because we're flipping into a six year, the lovers Gemini from a five year Taurus Hierophant and, and also the nodal axis is shifting the other way. So we're shifting in astrology from the nodal axis being in Gemini Sagittarius to Taurus Scorpio. And so we're in this like really interesting dance around both Gemini and Taurus. That's really going to be an overlay for the entirety of the year. And I think, you know, in terms of a tool or something to kind of think about energetically for the course of the year is really like what you're saying about this kind of like almost the Hierophant work for me and Taurus work is about like, what have I absorbed? It's almost like this sounds maybe kind of gross, but it's like taking an x-ray of like your, your metaphorical stomach and being like, what's in there? Like, what did I eat? Like metaphorically speaking, what beliefs did I swallow? What things are sort of stored in the density of me that then I, you know, I'm, I'm being called to sort of like inquire about like, oh my God, I didn't realize that like little P was swallowed, you know, 20 years ago that told me X, Y, Z about my worthiness or whatever the thing is. And then Gemini lover's energy, once we've excavated that, once we've looked at the internal layering and the contents and the absorption, then we go out into the world and we're able to take in and out easily. You know, Gemini is the breath. Gemini is sort of the act of respiration, the act of exchange. And so the lover's exchange becomes liberated in the sense of feeling like, okay, I don't have to like police the boundaries anymore, figure out what the contents are. Like I'm actually like, I know what I've stored and then I can sort of go out and be in a little bit freer of a relationship, you know, in terms of like the residue I leave and what I take up from the environment and kind of that feedback loop, that mercury feedback loop. And so the whole of the year is really an invitation around that. I mean, definitely amplified in the eclipse seasons, you know, in April, May, and then in the fall, I think. October, November. I'm terrible with dates, which is why I wrote this book. And then I can just flip to the page and remember that <laughs> the date. Um, but I think the, you know, for certainly around the eclipse, um, eclipse cycle is going to be amplified, but, you know, really just sort of remembering that as an overlay for the entirety of the year and looking at that relationship between what have I swallowed? What have I eaten for metaphorical dinner, you know, and looking at that and then being able to go out into the world and like snack on things again without, you know, like with some discernment and being that kind of sieve, that mercury sieve for sure. What you just said, it's making me so emotional because the second half of 2021 has been so devoted to my health. And it was this, I turned 32 in June, right? So it was like my own personal Herophant year of 32 in the first half. And, you know, I had in 2021, I had five seizures within like, 
within six months, seven months and four within five ever since like my birthday happened and all the brain scans and everything that I navigated through, they're like, oh, well, they're not seizures. Well, I'm having like convulsions on the floor and all these things. And my mentor, uh, Nisha Rodrigo, who's like one of the most sought out Eastern medicine practitioners in the world, she was like, it's your gut. And so the fact that you're talking about the Herophon and the gut and Taurus and absorbing everything and seeing and doing that reevaluating, that's what I spent the whole second half of 2021 healing, clearing, alchemizing to prepare for a 222 2022 lovers Gemini. So you sharing that was just like more confirmation of how astrology and modern mysticism and these ancient wisdoms have been the deeper realization or the deeper part of my healing that Western medicine hasn't really been able to pinpoint like in the 3D world and recognizing that the healing and the journey that I've been on um, has been more of a multidimensional experience. So thank you for sharing that because it's just like more confirmation of like, yeah, I really feel like I've really gotten to the bottom of what it was and having so much trauma between the ages of 16 and 22 that I had um, when the solar plexus, which is so much of like the gut and that whole, that whole space in my energetic system to prepare me. I have to clear that, that, and that's the other thing too. We have to clear that, that sludge and that gunk out if we want to live in that open heart space again, which is the lovers. So again, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with that because it's just more confirmation of, again, like that one degree Virgo moon, like I know I'm on track and it may be very hard for, for some people to understand, but I know like this is where God is leading me to even have and be able to have this exchange and this conversation to someone who may be listening to this and be like, maybe I do need to check on my gut health since in Chinese, you know, medicine, the gut is associated with the brain. And from that space, releasing the anxiety and the fear of the future. And again, like you said, hollowing out that vessel so that we can trust what's coming through and being in that true union with the planet, being in that true union with humanity and God and, you know, what makes us and, 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 and self really. Yeah. Uh, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it's interesting, not that this is like a little workshop of, you know, astrology workshop for your birth chart, but I think, you know, we were earlier, we we're speaking about the moon sign and kind of ancestral and attending to the inner life and all of that. And I think it could be interesting to really potentially play in 2022 with your Mercury sign and sort of putting that pride of place. Because for me, it's like, it's interesting. A lot of times you hear Mercury talked about as like communication and the intellect and the exchange of ideas and all of these things that sort of place it in a very airy realm. But I think we have to also remember that it's the dual ruler of, you know, both Gemini and Virgo and Virgo is a very earthy mm -hmm. energy. And so for me, Mercury has always been sort of the metaphorical metabolizer of the chart. It's how we absorb, you know, from our experiences. And part of that process is like when we learn something and then we communicate it outward, but that happens on all sorts of 
levels that are not intellectual as well as we're sort of taking things into our physical bodies and running them through. And we all absorb in different ways. You know, somebody who has a Virgo moon like yourself, you know, there's there's a different kind of subtlety of layering and a little, you know, little tendrils are up and you're catching a lot versus somebody with, you know, a very, you know, fiery moon might be just shooting it out the back of their body and it seemingly is gone. And so the process of excavating, if you're someone who metabolizes things very quickly or sort of tosses them out the other end in 2022 might be that you have to kind of like, or you're being invited to slow down a little bit and look at sort of that layering. And if you're someone who's like, you know, Pisces moon, Virgo moon, catching all the material. It's like, you know, we got to figure out how to like pick what's most vital for you and then kind of, you know, let the rest pass out of the system and look at that process. So, you know, it could be fun to sort of play with your Mercury sign too um, and looking at, um, you know, and your moon sign alongside your moon sign and looking at like, what does it mean to absorb for you? Are you somebody who has an experience and then things burn off very quickly? Are you somebody who's like, oh my God, I can't believe I've stored this, you know, box under my bed of this notion for 50 years and it's still here. Like, and looking at that process of how we metabolize experience during the coming year as well. Mind blown. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Cause personally, my Mercury is in Taurus. So interesting. That's yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you're picking up a lot and you're storing it very deeply. It's yeah, yeah, it's wow. And that's, and that's been a huge piece that has caused a lot of anxiety and things that I've needed to constantly, uh, feel comfortable to trust and let go. Um, and so again, I think it's just really, it's really important if you can start to dive in deeper and have a deeper understanding of, these planets, especially like you said, like we we talked about, like 2022 is going to be the lovers or Gemini. And then so understanding Mercury in that sense, like if you can even go forth, like even beyond 2022 and start understanding the different um, and working with with tarot and the journey of the major arcana in that sense and understanding the numbers and being able to understand like what planet rules that sign that's associated with that numerology. I don't know. I just think it's a really fun and uh, a really exciting way to understand the interconnectivity and the, uh, the understanding and the, and the weaving really of mysticism in our everyday life. And again, to also not have it feel like you have, it has power over you. But I think the bigger thing is like, if you have this awareness of this is the energy at play with that awareness, how can I outsmart it in a way, especially feeling like reclaiming your power back of like, okay, cool. If this is what I'm going to navigate through, like, for instance, perfect example, everyone, there's been such a weird stigma around Mercury retrograde when that's actually such a great time to be able to dive in deeper. It's such a great time to be able to reevaluate and to reassess and a time for you to reclaim your power back. So that's the thing that I like to teach about people, especially like growing up in a culture where there's been, especially like a very strong Catholic family and there's been so much like stigma or like ridiculous conditioning and fear around these tools when I'm like, cool, I still work with Jesus through these tools. And like, I, every time I pray over my tarot deck, I ask Jesus to send me a message through tarot. So that's a way that I'm 
working uh, with my like my upbringing of how I was raised, plus with something that has been a tool that's really helped me and not shaming myself because that's been part of the dismantling as well that I've done um, with my upbringing and my spiritual self and my spiritual connection. Um, so I think if we can, again, understand like, hey, if these are the energies at play, like how can I be in my sovereign embodiment to see what's going on and rise above it or work with it, with compassion, with love, with intention, and really just be that sacred vessel to live out and to my sole mission to help revolutionize the world with that love, with that unity, with that compassion, and with that peace. Yeah. And with, you know, with astrology and tarot, it doesn't need to be, I know these are, you know, complex systems, but it doesn't always need to be that complicated either. Like I love playing Mm -hmm. with astrology and tarot alongside one another. And like, even if you're a total newbie, you know, if you look at the major arcana, like you're saying, each of these cards has a planetary association or a sign association, you can just start to like see what sparks for you. You know, you have your moon in Virgo, you pull out the high priestess, which is ruled by the moon and you pull out the hermit card, which is ruled by Virgo. And you just look at them together and you're like, Hmm, you know, like what's sparking, like really kind of playing with, or even rolling it back even from there and saying, okay, my sun, moon rising, what elements are represented there? How do I connect to those elements? What elements? are not there. How can I reach out to those? And, you know, that this becomes like a recovery of something that's very innate, you know, very sort of just a natural, a natural way of being. And it's not that you have to spend, you know, 50 hours on the internet or take some big complicated astrology course or whatever, (laughs) you know, I mean, if you want to certainly, yeah. And like, come work with me, work with Sabrina, like, of course, like, but it doesn't need to, you know, we can really start simply and we can start in the language that we already speak. Like you're saying, like these don't have to be, Jesus can be a part of it, whatever the language that's, you know, a part of how you speak to the unseen world or something bigger than yourself that's partnering with yourself is the language that it's meant to come through in. And there's a reason these are archetypes. It's because they speak to universalized human experience that has happened across time, across space, that has synchronistically, you know, appeared these archetypes across cultures that had no, you know, literal communication with one another. And so you speak them too. They're inside of you already. I love that. That's super beautiful. And yeah, like I said, I feel like that's my been my journey of healing ancestrally, any upbringing or whatever stigmas or whatever. And like I said, my, my, my grandmother's sister, she was a witch, a priestess who really understood and was very like, I don't know about you, but like Christmas Eve and my family is like, we would always you would do, you do this prayer in Italian where you say this prayer only allowed on Christmas Eve, you have holy water and olive oil. And depending on how it's like called Malocchio, which is to understand the evil on. And then depending on how the oil spots are shaped or whatever, it can say, can show if someone has put like a curse on you, or if there's been something and you burn it with a match and you do it three times to continue to clear out like shit like that. That's what I grew up with when I was a little kid. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is amazing. Like you growing up with like reading astrology. And that's what I'm talking about before, like understanding these pieces, releasing the negative stigmas that could be brought down from your culture, from uh, your religious upbringing, from your ancestral lineage. And like, showing up with and infusing it with love and with purpose and with pure intention. I think that's the way that we're going to really help heal our lineage and to really help pave the path for, 
for the work that's to come. And that's been that's been my driving force for the last, you know, nine plus years of embarking on my spiritual journey back in 2012 was like I needed to heal my family. And that to me was healing myself, my relationship with my family, clearing out ancestral debris and to also pave the path for when I have children that like they don't have to have these stigmas. And I just think it's like it's been a really beautiful time. Like I said, 2012, 2020, like everything resetting, reevaluating and answering the call in a way that we can make these tools and these modalities simplified. And like you said, not as complex. And I think we're, we're completely, and we're constantly dismantling the stigmas and the fear around that. So I really appreciate you sharing and bringing more of an awareness with these archetypes and with you know, simplifying astrology and breaking it down in a way that's tangible and really in the now, like you said, like infusing the emotions of your inner landscape and how the external landscape loves you back. And I just, I really appreciate that. That's your, your driving force behind your medicine and the work you're really called to be sharing right now. Yeah. And I think this question of sovereignty is such a, I mean, this word is just so, it's so alive and like textual and juicy. Um, and it's like, when we look at things like, you know, you referenced Mercury retrograde, which I really appreciate. Cause I think we're, I think we're slowly moving out of that space where these, you know, there's kind of these fear-based um, understandings of certain transits or certain experiences. And like, I don't know, with retrogrades, I'm always like, you know, like the outer planets spend about half the year retrograde. Mercury's, you know, station is retrograde and it is not in, you know, in uh, forward motion or apparent forward motion for much of the year. Like if these things were malevolent forces, like all of life would just be this terror, you know, like it, it can't, it can't exist that way. At the same time as I think a lot of people, or there's this residue of a way of being where it's like, well, if I give the control to that. If I say like Mercury retrograde or this person or whatever the thing is, if I outsource it, somehow it's going to be easier because I'll just sort of crouch over here. I won't have to sort of step up into the work and it'll just be done. It'll be done to me. Something will be done to me, but we don't really want that as souls. Maybe part of our ego sometimes thinks that we want that, but we want to fly. We want, we want more participation. And that that call that you're talking about to sovereignty is like, that stepping out of that fear-based, it's like, there's some discomfort around that too, because part of us thinks that we want like, oh, I'm going to get the tarot reading and they're going to tell me when I'm going to meet my lover and this is going to happen and all of these kinds of event-based things. But the more that we excavate the interior, the less we have to wait for the event to wake us up to the thing, the more we just sort of move into whatever experiences we encounter and constellate experiences that are more in alignment with what's being excavated in the internal. But it's a responsibility too. And I love what you're talking about in terms of the shift from the fear base as a shift into sovereignty, which is a sovereign responsibility as well. It's a self-sufficiency that's also infused with soul, you know? So it's not purely, it's a hybrid of like an ego, you know, what I can do of myself and also a partnering with these larger currents. So cool. I love that word. <laughs> I love that. You totally read my mind because now I was going to close out this conversation with my lightning round questions. And my first question Oof. was, what does sovereignty mean to you? Ooh. And that was- <laughs> I think that's it. Amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But that was amazing. And I, I, like I said, I'm just, I'm great. Like when I heard, like, I got to call this, you know, first it was a sovereign goddess podcast, but then I wanted to bring more inclusion of, 
you know, non-binary and men in here as well. So we can have all voices really heard. I was like, I'm going to change it to the sovereign society. But what you just shared is exactly the driving force of helping people reclaim their power. So, and the why I do this work. So again, thank you for sharing that. That was so beautiful. Um, but to continue forth with the lightning round questions, what <laughs> would you say to younger Bess? Oh, baby Bess, just keep on, keep on, keep the glow glowing, keep doing your weird astrology podcasts in the closet with your tape recorder, you know? Um, yeah. And I think, I think I would say to baby Bess, like the intensity is not a problem. Like you can embrace the intensity earlier on. I think I went through a lot of journey in my young years with, um, a supercharge around things that I had to, I had to sort of experience by bumping up against events in the world that were very dramatic that had to sort of wake me up to things. And I think I would tell baby best that the intensity lives inside and it doesn't need to always be sort of met through these, um, they're sort of constellated through these external experiences and that you can hold it. You're able to hold it all. It's not going to like blow out your circuits basically. I think that's what I'd say. And I'd say um, just, well, I don't think I'd need to say this because I started wearing lipstick every day in my life at a very early age, but I'd say just like, keep on with the lipstick. It's going to really moor you and anchor you <laughs> over time. Yeah. Way to honor your brand best. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What concert would you say was one that really shifted and revolutionized like your life? Huh. Wow. That's a really good question. The first thing that's coming to my mind is, I don't even know what year this was, but it was Roisin Murphy, um, the Irish, British, like pop dance, electronica queen, at least in my mind. And seeing like the completeness of the spectacle of her, like everything was part of it. It was like every set piece, every, you know, piece of costuming the whole thing and to see that sort of integrity of performance um I just fucking love her so much so yeah probably that one I love that answer that's amazing what book would you say was the one that like really was has been one of the most impactful books well I would have to say that the author Roberto Bolaño probably is the one that has sort of changed my life not maybe not changed my life but just like partnered with the currents of my life the most. Um, he's a Chilean, but uh, spent most of his life in Mexico, in Mexico City, um, author of fiction books uh, and poetry. Um, he's deceased now, but all of his books I've just like read on a loop for um, probably the past 10 plus years. Um, and I think his books have really, he's like a very deep Taurus Scorpio character. And I think his books have really, what I love about them is that they're really encompassed the full, like, dense, deep human range of like behavior, but they're not cynical at all. They're like very much on the side of life. Like he can be talking about these very, you know, dark matter or, you know, pretty like matter that's infused with levity and all of it gets to be part of it in a way that still is like, life is worth it. It's worth it to be here. And so mm. I love this book so much. Yeah. I love that. Where can we find more of you? More of me? Uh, well, I'm the, I think I'm the only person named Bess Matassa, at least that I've discovered so far. So if you just Google me, you know, you can come to my website and find out um, different offerings I have. I work one-on-one -on -one with people uh, for astrology and tarot readings and also for mentorship. If you're looking to sort of use these modalities in different ways in your own life and, and learn about them. Um, I also love to collaborate with people who are makers of other kinds that want to use astrology to kind of infuse it in their practice. Uh, and, and I'm ever, every once in a while, 
while I pop onto Instagram, I'm like a sort of a gen, I'm a very like old tech gen X kind of like, I'm working it out. I'm working it out. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I would say mostly connecting through, um, through my website and, uh, yeah, if you're in New York, you can spot me moving through the streets. I like to walk the streets a lot in many different neighborhoods and boroughs. So if you ever see me with my pink lipstick out and about, um, definitely say hi. Uh, yeah. And I think that's about it. Oh, and on my podcast, um, I do an astrology and tarot and hypnosis podcast with a uh, fellow astrologer, Sandy Citron. It's, it now runs monthly mm. on the first of each month and they're kind of like mini workshops. So we take a theme that's inspired by the season each month, like, you know, resilience and Capricorn season. And then we look at different tools that you can play with, um, from your chart, from the tarot deck to to approach that theme. Um, and so it's like this, both like a self-contained little workshop, um, and also, uh, for a range of, of knowledge levels in astrology and tarot, and also a journey like through the year. So you can listen to them at any time. There's a whole backlog of episodes. So you can dive into those if that sounds fun to you. Awesome. And if you want to hear, I had an episode, Sandy Citron was one of my first guests. So I'll have her <sighs> I'll have her uh, podcast episode linked as well in the show notes, as well as the link for the Numinous Cosmic Gear, right? Well, your book. So yeah. I'll have that link as well. Um, but to close out, is there any last little nugget of wisdom or piece of advice you want to share to whoever's listening? Hmm, man, <laughs> it's a tall order. Um, I'd say that just the the remembrance that, these languages and these modalities are innate and that you also can play with them in a way that's unscripted, you know, learning more and more about these archetypes and liberating yourself to be able to kind of pick and choose among them, you know, as you would like a, you know, a sort of wardrobe or a color palette to say, what do I need in my life today? You know, do I need a little Gemini? Do I need a little bit of Taurus? And being able to really choose these archetypes and step into the skin of them, even beyond um, the sort of structure of the birth chart is something that I'd offer up to listeners. AKA, you have every right to embody all the archetypes, whether yes. or not those planets are <laughs> not, you don't have planets in that part of your chart. Thank yeah. you again, Bess. This was such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it. Congrats on your fourth book. And I'm definitely going to play it. The Astro Deck is one of my favorites. It's just so fun and beautifully made. And again, such an honor to have you here and sharing your nuggets of wisdom. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Sabrina. And I can't wait to read your book as well. Thank you. And thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll be sharing more with you soon. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into this powerful episode of the Sovereign Society podcast. To keep this conversation flowing, I invite you to join us over at the Sovereign Society private Facebook group and to follow us over at Sovereign Society podcast on Instagram. If you want to keep up with me, subscribe to my YouTube channel where you can watch these episodes and so much more. I welcome you to come on over and say hey on Instagram at Sabrina Riccio. And if you love these conversations, please support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes. To share the love, all you got to do is search Sovereign Society Podcast. And of course, if you're ready for more, stay tuned for next week because we've got a whole new episode coming your way. Take care. Satnam. Satnam.